Welcome to the Da Vinci Hour, a podcast series that interviews individuals across the field of medicine to help provide an inside look into their experiences and provide insight on how to navigate the journey of becoming a physician. My name is Dr. Maxwell Cooper, and I will be your host. This podcast is brought to you by Da Vinci Academy, a medical education company that provides online video courses, outline format books, and clinical case videos for students studying the medical basic sciences. You can check out all that DaVinci Academy has to offer at www.dbiacademy.com. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the DaVinci Hour podcast. Very excited about this episode uh, this week I have for you. Today, I have Dr. Harrison Wynn. He is a PGY4 dermatology resident here at Emory. He's also part of the medical innovation track for residents here at Emory with, uh, along with myself. Um, and he's also currently serving as the dermatology program's chief resident, which is pretty cool. Um, Dr. Wynn attended uh, Rice University for his undergraduate and then his medical school at Baylor College of Medicine, which I believe are both in Houston. Uh, right. And then during medical school, he took some time off and completed an MBA and a master's in public health degree at Yale University Schools of Management and Public Health, respectively. Uh, he stayed at Baylor for his uh, intern year in, in uh, internal medicine uh, before starting his dermatology residency here at Emory. Uh, Harrison, thanks for uh, coming on. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Maxwell. Um, so let's just start out. I think, you know, a lot of people probably have a general idea of what a dermatologist does, but maybe just give us like an overview of the, of the field, like what, you know, what you guys do on, a, on like a day-to-day basis. Uh, I realize that may be kind of broad, but maybe just a general overview. Sure. Happy to do so. Um, so dermatologists are, um, are the experts of the skin, hair, nails, and then we also do some, um, some work in the mucosal membranes as well. Um, most of our work is uh, in the outpatient setting. It is a, um, it's a kind of a pretty fast paced field. Um, encounters tend to be kind of on the quicker side relative to, um, to other fields. Um, and a part of that is due to, it's a very visual field. And that's um, a big reason that I was drawn to dermatology. It's very visual. I like being able to kind of kind of enter a patient's room and already kind of be able to gather um, the data that I need to, to make a diagnosis and kind of formulate a treatment plan. The other thing is that there's a, a tremendous amount of variety in, in dermatology. And so um, a typical general dermatologist will treat kids all the way up until um, uh, to, to the end of life of, of uh, adulthood. And so, um, you know, the, the spectrum of patients, as well as the types of skin diseases that we treat um, can be chronic in nature. And so we tend to follow patients uh, over time and, and are able to build um, long um, um, uh, relationships with our patients. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so I guess going off that, maybe walk us through like a typical day uh, as a dermatology resident. Sure. Um, so uh, you know, bear in mind that most of dermatology is in the outpatient setting. Um, we spend the majority of our time in, in clinic. And so um, we here, I'm a, a resident here at Emory and we have uh, multiple clinical sites. So there's a little bit of variation depending on the, the clinical site in terms of the type of patients that we're treating and the, our workflow. But in general, we're seeing um, around um, seven to 10 patients in the morning and seven to 10 patients in the afternoon. Um, depending on the rotation, sometimes we hold the consult pager, meaning that if there's any inpatient uh, issues or any inpatient dermatologic problems, then, um, then inpatient teams will give us a call and we'll um, usually go up either uh, 
sometime it, sometimes in between lunch or after clinic to, to go see patients in, um, in, in the hospital. But the majority of, um, of our, our work day is spent uh, in clinic. Gotcha. Yeah, I always wondered, you know, I did my TY year here and I spent a lot of time at, at Grady Hospital, the county hospital, for those of uh, listeners who wouldn't know. Um, and I remember what, every time we called dermatology on the inpatient side, you guys were always very happy to come come see the consult. So I always wondered if you were you guys just like hanging out and waiting for consults or was it more? It, se- <laughs> it seems like it seemed like you probably would be. I didn't see it seemed like you'd be more busy than that, probably like in clinic and maybe cut time out of clinic to go and see a consult. Yeah, that's right. So we we. Um we do have a dedicated consult resident who's, who prioritizes inpatient calls. And um, it makes sense that inpatient issues tend to be more um, pressing and tend to demand more urgent evaluation. And so usually if the consult resident gets a call, then the consult resident will go up and see the patient relatively, um, you know, re- re- relatively immediately. And so, um, but, but, but if when, whenever there's not inpatient calls then the, the consul resident will be working um, in clinic. And um, in terms of just kind of our, uh, why we perhaps have that uh, thought of being just kind of happy to see inpatient consults, I think um, in general, dermatology, the, the satisfaction um, uh, is pretty high in our field. Um, and I think that's driven by a couple of things. Certainly what most listeners are pretty aware of is that it's got a good uh, work-life balance. Um, but the other thing is that I, I, I think dermatology is a very satisfactory uh, practice and that we're able to deliver uh, successful outcomes to our patients. And so, um, you know, I think that, 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 that being, you know, being able to kind of diagnose something and get it better for a patient, um, it, it brings a lot of satisfaction to dermatologists. So in general, I think we have a pretty uh, good attitude about, about things. And um, the other thing is that in inpatient setting, that's when a lot of times the, um, the more rare and some of the more um, uh, challenging cases can come up. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of an opportunity for us to kind of really put our diagnostic skills uh, to the test. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think a lot of the things I counsel about were very like you said, very unique or, or interesting skin diagnoses that, you know, many of these patients had never seen a dermatologist in their life. And, and, uh, I remember you guys were always very happy to do a biopsy if, if that was indicated as well, um, which is cool. Um, so the other thing, I guess, as far as what also is kind of always fascinating about dermatology, it seems in, you know, please feel, uh, free to elaborate on this is that you guys see a variety of pathology within itself. Like you see cancer, you know, obviously the skin cancer, you see, you know, skin infections, uh, other, probably other diseases that I don't even, aren't even aware of like immune kind of, uh, disorders and things like that. And maybe kind of elaborate on some of the variety of the pathology you guys see. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, we commonly quote that there's over 3000, uh, pathologies in dermatology that we are, um, we spend residency trying to, to learn and to, to memorize. And, um, but, but I, I, you know, I, I, I do appreciate that there's a, you know, wide range of uh, pathologies that we get to see. And I think sometimes uh, part of why there's so many pathologies is because perhaps the dermatology forefathers were splitters rather than groupers. And so sometimes it's easier to kind of split things based on nuances. Um, but, you know, something I've, I've also, I, I, I personally, in my practice, I tend to consider myself as a grouper. And so I tend to think, think of things in, in big kind of buckets and think of, think, of the, think of ultimately what it means for the patient in terms of what do we need to counsel them in terms of prognoses and then what, what type of treatment response, what type of treatments that they would respond to. And so 
So you alluded to uh, autoimmune conditions, which tend to be more inflammatory in nature. And so we call these inflammatory skin diseases that um, traditionally more responsive to steroids or and treatments similar to steroids. And then in the bucket of infection, we see fungal, viral, bacterial, protozoan, you know, other types of infections. And those would be in the bucket of responding to um, anti-infectious um, um, uh, agents. Um, and then certainly I think uh, another kind of bucket would be malignancy. And so we see a lot of neoplasms of the skin and um, a good, a good, a good variety of those will respond to um, to extirpation removal of the of the of the cancer, um, while others will need um, systemic treatments and um, you know things that are like leukemias of the skin will will um, will regard require kind of more kind of different nuanced types of treatment and so. Um, yeah, so those are a lot of the, the big buckets. And then um, one other one that I'd like to mention is genodermatoses that we see for um, in pediatric patients, so patients with genetic skin conditions that uh, have kind of rare skin manifestations that um, sometimes need multi-modalities to be able to manage in the long term. Sure, sure. And then what, from what I understand is you, you guys also do a lot of procedures, or at least as residents, maybe that changes when you get out into your own practice and kind of have more control of your, your practice setting. But it seems maybe kind of go over some of like the main bread and butter procedures you guys do. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, so I alluded earlier that one of the things that attracted me to dermatology was the visual nature. But the, another thing that really attracted to me was the, the use of kind of the, the procedural aspects of, of dermatology. And um, it's a very hands-on field uh, from things like biopsies that we do are just very mini kind of require local anesthesia and just kind of taking a sample of skin. Um, we do that very frequently. Um, and then that extends to doing excisional surgeries. Um, so typically a, a treatment for a skin cancer will be, um, will be, um, excising the, 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 the malignant portion of the skin. Um, and so that involves usually excision, of the skin cancer, but also a lot of suturing. Um, and then we have kind of more, um, uh, uh, more involved procedures like Mohs micrographic surgery, um, which is a specialized type of treatment for uh, skin cancer. Um, and with those, the bigger type of skin cancers that can be, um, that are created from a defect that uh, of a skin excision, skin cancer excision, um, require more advanced reconstruction. And so in that field, we there's a good amount of overlap with what plastic surgery, what ENT does. And so we, we um, kind of Mohs micrographic surgeons will do a, a good amount of uh, reconstruction. And then other types of procedures are using use of lasers and light-based devices, as well as injectables. Um, so certainly for medical indications for injections, uh, we commonly use, we inject steroids um, for intralesionally for lesions, uh, for hair loss or cicatricial or, or scarring hair loss, um, but also for cosmetics. Um, cosmetics is a is a uh, component of dermatology and um, injecting um, uh, fillers and uh, botulinum toxin, also Botox for both cosmetic and medical indications is, is a part of dermatology. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I think it, you've probably talked a little bit about this, but I guess the, what, what are like the rotations or I guess maybe the subspecialties you guys do is, is residents or is it like, you know, do you do a pediatrics rotation or like, and then you kind of alluded to the consult rotation, I guess, what are kind of the typical like rotations of dermatology resident would do? 
Each residency is structured differently. Some will um, group by certain roles. So when you're the consult resident, you'll see consults all over. Um, some will, and you're, when you're doing the surgery resident, you're the, doing surgeries at all the different sites. Um, our, our residency at Emory, we structure things in general based on the site. And so we, when you're at the VA, as you know, we kind of have most, cover multiple different sites at, uh, at Emory. When you're at the VA, you are covering VA clinic. When you're at Grady or County Hospital, you're at, at Grady Clinic. And so we, that's how we group our, 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 our rotations. Um, but there's, there are different kind of subspecialties in dermatology, as you alluded to. There's um, certainly... Um, uh, surgical dermatology or Mohs micrographic surgery. Um, there's pathology, dermatopathology, and there's pediatric dermatology, um, as well as uh, cosmetic dermatology. And those kind of represent the major um, subspecialties and subspecialty training um, within dermatology. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and then I guess you alluded to, you know, uh, dermatology has a good work-life balance, as you said. I guess what are kind of the typical hours you guys run and maybe that varies on the rotation but whether like during the week and then like covering weekends call like that kind of stuff yeah um so i would consider emory um uh, dermatology residency one of the busier dermatology residencies um just because we cover so many sites and such a large population um and our typical uh our typical schedule is eight to five um monday through friday with um Thursday mornings off for didactics and usually uh, a day, uh, half day off for um, for what's called an academic half day where we, you know, we do a lot of studying and research and all that kind of stuff. And so that half day off is usually intended to um, is is intended to kind of pursue those interests. And so um, so it, it's it's a relatively relative to my peers and other specialties. It is a it is a pretty um, it is a kind of a lighter work schedule. Um, so anywhere from around 35 to 40 clinical hours per week is pretty typical. Um, and then we take call um, at Emory, we take call uh, three weekends a year. And so um, the other 49 weekends, we, we kind of have to, to I kind of off call and, um, uh, but we take three weekends of, of call a year where we cover all the sites in, in Atlanta. And so when we're on call, we, it's, it's, it's a um, relatively busy uh, weekend. You know, I'll be working pretty much from all weekend, but, uh, but it's nice that the, the rest of the time is, um, is, is kind of dedicated to be off. We're going to take a quick break to let you know the DaVinci Hour podcast is brought to you by DaVinci Academy, which provides online video courses for the medical basic sciences. These courses are taught using a variety of teaching methods, including bullet point outlines, diagrams, radiology images, and chalk talks to explain the fundamental concepts. We then teach the application of those concepts to numerous clinical pearls that are frequently tested on medical school exams and the USMLE. Our video courses are available on our website dviacademy.com as monthly subscriptions starting at $9.99 per month. Each video course has a corresponding outline format textbook as well. You can find the link to our website in the description below. Also, be sure to use the discount code TDH20 to receive 20% off any of our video courses. All right, now back to the podcast. Uh, we talked a little bit about this, sort of what fellowships would be available within like those subspecialties you had mentioned that people may pursue. 
Yeah. So, so um, about half of dermatology residents will not pursue fellowship. And oh. so, um, but the, uh, the, the dermatology fellowships that are available are uh, Mohs micrographic surgery or surgical dermatology fellowship, um, dermatopathology, pediatric dermatology, um, as well as cosmetic dermatology. And then there's a kind of a handful of complex medical dermatology fellowships as well. Um, the most popular one is Mohs micrographic surgery, um, surgical dermatology. Um, but uh, in, in the past, dermatopathology has been very popular. Um, one can go to dermat dermatopathology fellowship from either pathology or dermatology. Um, and then pediatric dermatology, even if one is a, does pediatrics residency first and then a dermatology residency is common, it's at least not infrequent that folks will do a different residency before coming to dermatology residency, you would still have to do a pediatric dermatology fellowship to become board certified in pediatric dermatology, even if you've done a pedi board, even if you are a board certified pediatrician. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And then the cosmetics fellowship is, um, it's not ACGME um, uh, kind of governed, but um, it is uh, also increasing in, in popularity. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, and I think one thing I, I, I there was a thought I, I had there and I lost for a second, but what I just remembered is you mentioned like the the clinical hours versus like your academic time. I imagine I've, I assume dermatology is similar to radiology in that sense because especially diagnostic, we keep kind of similar hours to you guys. I think you know it's like eight to five typically. IR is obviously different, um, but. We also like you guys, which I, it sounds like we have to do a lot of reading in the outside, like, right. and, and there's a lot of, you know, pe people like, oh, you don't, you get off at five, but like, they don't realize like you do have to, there's a lot of knowledge you have to, to acquire outside of just what we learned during the clinical time. I imagine dermatology is probably, you're not, you guys aren't just hanging out <laughs> with all that time. <laughs> it seems, yeah. I would imagine with all that pathology you describe that you have to learn, that's, you know, maybe part of your training as well. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, I, it's, you know, I mentioned earlier that we, we often say there's 3000 or more pathologies in dermatology and, um, you know, there's this majority of those one will not see during residency, but one is expected to know for the board exams and to become board certified. And um, so studying is a major component of dermatology residency. Um, it's something that I did not appreciate as much as a med student going through the process that how much studying is expected um, to be kind of learning um, on your off hours to make sure that you're kind of prepared for the board exams and in-service exams. And so, um, yeah, it sounds like our fields are, are very, fairly similar in that, uh, yeah, we may get off at five o'clock, but we got to take care of stuff uh, afterwards as well. Definitely. Definitely. And then I'm curious, like the procedure aspects, like, is that is, I imagine there's probably like certain numbers you guys have to hit when, by the time you graduate, but is that, is that something it's probably similar to us with like interventional or diagnostic procedures we do where it's like, you kind of have to prove your level of, you know, autonomy and that kind of graduates as you move through the program. Is that kind of similar to how you guys are doing it? Yeah, um, so we ACGME requires that we meet certain number of a certain number of procedures, um, and for example, we have to do fifty excisions um, and fifty repairs uh, as the primary surgeon to graduate from dermatology residency. And at Emory, we have high volume, and so we meet that. Um, very kind of very easily. Um, and, you know, I, for, for me, I, uh, I started dermatology residency pre-pandemic when there was, we were, there was high volumes of skin cancer, especially at the VA. Um, so I met my requirements uh, from that 
from that perspective for the skin cancer excision and repair uh, midway through my first year. Um, but there's also requirements to make sure that you've seen a certain number of Mohs procedures and flaps and grafts and um, injectables for Botox filler, as well as laser procedures. Um, but, uh, but, but there's a, a uh, you know, depending on the, the, the residency, there's uh, some will have more kind of volume than others. Uh, you know, ultimately um, dermatology, uh, the, the procedures tend to occur in the context of skin cancer. Skin cancer is more common in lighter skin, type one, type two skin. And so if you um, are at a residency with um, exposure to, um, uh, to that type of uh, population, then you'll probably, probably have more exposure naturally. Sure, sure. Um, and some, something else I'm wondering here is, so when you guys do get out into practice, do most, do most dermatologists kind of cover everything or do they maybe subspecialize and then also kind of piggybacking off of the procedure discussion, do you, does that vary as well? Like do some do, you know, a lot of procedures and then maybe some don't even do any at all. Like, I guess maybe how, how that kind of yeah. the variety there. A great question. You know, it, 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 it completely is up to um, the dermatologist, but also um, also the practice setting. And so um, it depends um, what, what, you want to do. Um, and, um, if the, it, it, so also some practice settings will, will say, okay, you, you should, we want you to refer all your procedures to the surgeon in the practice while others will have kind of more, uh, freedom to, to, to kind of design their, um, design the practice as, as they want. And so that's one consideration when a resident's kind of looking at job is, you know, how much autonomy do I have? And, um, one of the bigger kind of controversies or um, discussions in dermatology is um, the increasing uh, presence of private equity in dermatology where private equity, private equity firms have bought a lot of practices in dermatology and have um, for better and for worse have um, optimized operations um, and optimize, or I should say operation, but how the practice functions. And so they commonly will tell the dermatologist that this is the way that we expect you to practice. Um, and for some dermatologist sets, they like that for others, they, they don't. And so, um, and so just to kind of circle back uh, to answer your question, it, it completely depends on what you're looking for and also where you're practicing. Interesting. That whole private equity thing that's happened in radiology as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. What's the, it. what's the narrative in radiology about private equity? I think it's mixed. Like you said, for, for dermatology, I think, um, the academic groups, it's, or the, obviously the, the academic groups kind of stay away from that, obviously, but um, within the private world, it's, it's kind of a, a feud in some cases between the older attendings who maybe are closer to retirement and they can cash out and get a few million dollars and go hang out. And then the younger attendings who are trying to, you know, make their way to that partner track. Uh, I think it's right. kind, of a, kind of a split depends on probably the age and experience level of the person you talk to. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I think there's just so much so there's so much variety even within private equity. And so typically to label something as private equity is good or private equity is bad is inaccurate because there's so much, um, there's so much kind of different differences among private equity firms about how their philosophies and how they approach um, their organizations. And so um, there, I think there is truth that some private equity firms are telling the dermatologist kind of 
binding their hands and saying, this is how, what you have, this is, this is the number of patients that you have to see. This is how many MAs you're going to get. And this is how you're going to have to practice while others don't. And they perhaps are looking to optimize their, um, their financial uh, gain through perhaps ways that are less burdens or less constricting for the dermatologist. And so there's just a lot of kind of variety in uh, among private equity firms as well. Sure. Sure. Um, and then I guess, uh, as far as the, back to the kind of the training discussion is, is there like an ideal internship that someone should do before dermatology or is it, you know, I mean, you'll hear people say, just do the most chill program you can find, or, you know, no, you should do one that's very clinically robust. Um, I don't know. It kind of, I feel, I realize that probably depends who you talk to, but I guess as, especially as like a chief resident, I'd be interested to know like what your, your thoughts are. It depends who you talk to is, is, is the, the simple answer, but let me just give you context for my path. I, um, I did my internship year at Baylor in internal medicine with 11 and a half inpatient months. And so it is probably one of the most rigorous internship years in internal medicine. Um, and I did that largely because I wanted to, I, I, my family was in Houston and I, just thought I would just be easier just to stay in Houston. So I didn't even kind of look at very many internship programs. Um, and having been on the other side, I do not think it offered any additional value having gone through an extremely rigorous internship year compared to those who took a more kind of quote unquote chill year. Um, and so I, that's my personal opinion, but I think you'll hear a lot of different opinions and, and there are reasons to do a more rigorous program. Um, some fellowship directors will look at an internship year program and find it, hold it in, in more esteem. Uh, for example, the uh, surgical um, director at, um, at Emory, the most, the most uh, fellowship director at Emory, um, did it uh, did a general surgery internship year, oh, and wow. he and he very kind of op he, he very openly says that he found a lot of value in doing a challenging internship year in his career, and he looks very favorably on um, applicants who do a general in surgery internship year. So um, there are you know ultimately I when I talk to medical students who ask me the question, I tell them to make uh, the decision that is kind of in the best interest of their them and their family what they're looking for. I think. Um, to me, I would say prioritize being location, prioritize what is best for your family, um, because having gone through a very rigorous interview year, I don't think it necessarily made me a stronger um, uh, dermatologist, ultimately, than those who went through a quote-unquote chill one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think what's interesting is you, you said it was 11 and a half months of inpatient and then yet most of your work as a dermatologist is outpatient, is outpatient. <laughs> right right <laughs> which is ironic that's right yeah you know I, I you you did the ty here right at emory right yeah yeah which is yeah we don't do as much we do we do a lot of inpatient but we do six months of inpatients we do a fair amount of it but not not 11 and a half months but it was it was a pretty rigorous year I'll, i will say that as you've probably heard <laughs> yeah yeah i have heard it's rigorous and i you know i'm i i it, it helped with things like maybe navigating the cons what consults are what, it, what you know that what it's like to be on the other side calling consults and um but i i don't think it's anything that you can't catch up relatively quickly for um for the other um dermatologists or radiologists i i don't know what what advice do you give uh about that maxwell yeah you know it's interesting i i think you know like uh, interventional i get asked a lot about that because you know the big push kind of similar to what you're describing with the the most surgeon is that 
uh, to do a surgical internship. And, you know, I did a TY year, which was mostly a medicine year, but I also did a vascular surgery month, which I thought okay. was, which I thought was a good month. And, you know, I, as you may know, there's a lot of overlap with, you know, especially with like endovascular procedures. Um, that being said though, I was like, I remember at the end of that, I was like, this is a good experience, but 12 months of this, I kind of had the similar type of feeling. I was like, this probably would have been overkill. I thought, you know, because it's, because the thing is you're not operating, like you do a little right. bit of operating, but a lot of it, as you know, is, is, you know, it's like being, it was like being on wards, like it, on medicine wards, it was a lot of floor work and notes and that's right. Following tasks up and things like that, which is fine. But, um, I think, you know, getting a little more, I think I, I advise people to, to consider TY years where they can do kind of a mix of both, where they can do some medicine and surgery, especially if they're interested in IR. Cause I think having both perspectives, for that, uh, for, be that for that particular field is helpful. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah. I guess. Yeah. One more follow-up question I had for that is, are there any derm or any interneers that let you do dermatology rotations? And is that helpful if possible? Um, yes, there are, there are interneers that, that allow you to do one to three months of dermatology. Um, you know, Emory's one of them. Emory, we have, um, the, 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 TYs who um, we've, we commonly have them kind of rotate with us. And I think you can do up to a month of dermatology or dermatopathology. Um, and I, I would encourage it, especially if that's kind of what you're, the field that you're pursuing, it kind of allows you to get uh, prepared for, uh, for residency. Um, certainly very helpful if, like say, if you did your TY at Emory and you're going to be a resident at Emory, um, beyond the clinical knowledge that you gain, it also helps with kind of functioning within the EMR and kind of understanding how, you know, the clinic flows. And so I think there's a lot of value in, in doing a dermatology rotation if you can. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I likewise, I feel the same for you know, if you can do radiology uh, as well in, in your intern year. Um, I guess kind of winding it back a little bit, back when you were in med school doing your what, third year rotations and things like that, what made you decide on the field of dermatology? I think you alluded to this a little bit already, but like kind of how did you, how did you go through your decision process? Or maybe dermatology is what you've always wanted to do, but I guess maybe how you kind of navigated that, that third year decision process. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my my path was a little different. Um, I I went to a combined medical program um, out of high school. So when I got into college, I was admitted at simultaneously into medical school, um, and so I was I was part of a research program my entering my freshman year, and I knew only one doctor growing up, um, and it was my family medicine doctor, and um, he was kind of not very keen about practicing medicine anymore. And, um, he tried to convince me to not go into medical school, but he's like, if you go into medicine, you should do either dermatology, ophthalmology, radiology, or anesthesiology, the, the, the so-called unquote road specialties. Uh, I was um, going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, uh, I kind of my, I, for, for whatever reason, I, I started doing research in dermatology as a freshman in college. And, um, and so I, got really into, um, I got, met some really good mentors who just, um, really inspired me over the years. And so I entered medical school knowing that dermatology was something I wanted to pursue. Um, I try to keep an open mind, but it wasn't very successful at it. I just kind of, just kind of felt like it was, it was, it was just kept, kept coming back to it. Um, but I, I will say what dermatology, the right, it's the right field for people who 
like fast paced um, work. It's, it's, it tends to be a fast paced uh, field. It's the right field for, for folks who like visual things, who, um, who like working with their hands, but not, not at a very, um, not certainly not at the level as our neurosurgery or cardiothoracic surgery colleagues do. It's it, if, if you like big surgeries and dermatology will, will for the most part, not kind of scratch that itch. Um, it's not the right person for someone who, it's not the right field for someone who likes urgency and things. You probably shouldn't ever see a dermatologist sprinting down the hallway of a hospital. Um, and so, but it, it, it does what it, what I do think a common mis misconception about dermatologists that dermatologists don't really change anything, don't really impact patient lives. It's all, it's all kind of popping pimples. And, and that's just not true. Um, uh, skin diseases can have a tremendous impact on patient quality of life. And as I alluded to earlier, um, you know, our treatments tend to be very successful. And so, um, you know, I find commonly that uh, my patients are, are very kind of come in, they're, they're miserable, they, um, you know, with their bad skin disease, and um, I'm able to help them. And they, they just kind of that turnaround um, provides a lot of satisfaction. So, um, yeah, so I, you know, I, I, I think there are a lot people kind of choose fields for, for different reasons, sometimes for serendipity, sometimes based on a whim, sometimes more intentional, but um, I, I hope I was able to at least cover a few characteristics that would be, um, that would kind of attract one to dermatology. Sure, sure. Um, and then I guess, what, what are your thoughts on, I guess, for med students that are trying to make that decision and they're, maybe they're interested in dermatology, but they're not sure they're kind of going through those core rotations so far. What's kind of like, what, how do you usually advise med students kind of going through that decision process? And maybe they have a little bit of an interest in dermatology. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's important to talk to as many people as you can. I think it's important to put yourself in the shoes of your attending of your residents of your attendings um, and think and be have a genuine conversation with yourself about what is important to you because and you know for for me in medical school it was very taboo to talk about lifestyle it was very taboo to talk about compensation and i think that needs to change because these are important factors that that medical students need to consider in their in their decision making um, and so ultimately, I, I'd say talk to as many people as you can. Try to put yourself in the shoe, those the your attending shoes, and think: Is this something that I can see myself doing, um, doing for the rest of, of of my life? You know, I I commonly say to medical students that I think choosing a specialty is a second most important decision you make in your life behind perhaps who you choose to be with or, you know, spend your life with or love, you know, but the, the, if you choose to be a um, pla like plastic surgeon versus if you chose to be a dermatologist, then your, your life will be radically different. And I think it's common. The common one is that folks will apply to derm and dual apply to like internal medicine um, um, or, uh, or ER or, um, or pediatrics uh, as, as a backup. Um, and I really discourage that because the practice of what one's life as internal medicine, internist, pediatrician, or an ER doc would be radically different than what their life would be as a dermatologist. So if that's, if they kind of go through the process and they identify that's where they would have derived the most happiness, it makes, to me, I, it makes the most sense to, to focus in on trying to get into dermatology. If you don't get in, do research, try again the next year. I, I, I have seen people apply uh, uh, four or five times to get into dermatology. Um, 
but in the grand scheme of things, like what is the diff- what is four or five years in your whole life if that's really a such a defining um, feature of your life? Sure, sure. No, I think you hit on some really good points there. One hundred percent agree that it's the second most deci- important decision you make as a as a doctor in your life. I think, you know someone who's a pathologist versus who's a neurosurgeon, like a doctor is a very broad term, if you think, as you know. Um, And so it's, your life is very different depending on what specialty you pick. And then I'm a big proponent too, of like, you got to talk to people, you got to like, see what their lives are like, get their sense. What's the, if you can, you know, if you feel comfortable, what's their personal life? Like how much does their work encroach on that? And I think compensation too. I mean, student, student loans are real. And um, you know, I think it's, you know, at the end of the day, like, and you got to support yourself and you got to support your family right. and, and, and all that kind of thing. And, and you know, after, uh, you know, all of us are smart, hardworking people. We could have went into other fields and made certainly a lot more money than we probably will as, as, as physicians or, or at least as much if that, for that matter, without those right. student loans. So I think it's, it's definitely something important to consider uh, as well. So, yeah, no, I think I agree with a lot of the points you made there. I think those are great points. And if I can just add, you know, if, yeah, if any, if there are any kind of listeners who who are looking to talk with a dermatology resident, and um, feel free to to reach out to me. I, would this be a good time to just? Uh, I don't know if my email will be available or, or not, but um, feel free to reach out to me, harrison.p.winngyen at gmail.com. I'm happy to talk with anyone and just I'll give kind of unbiased uh, information about kind of the process and um, kind of my thoughts on things. I'm always happy to, to talk with folks. That's awesome. That's very, very generous of you. Yeah, we'll, de- we'll definitely put uh, your contact info in the, in the show notes for, for people to reach out. Um, I guess... We taught, so I'm just going through some of my questions here. Oh, this is, this is a good one here is do dermatology applicants, do you, do they typically do away rotations? I realize maybe that's different with the whole COVID situation, but I guess maybe in the past and then now as well with the whole COVID situation, because since, you know, we have to address that because it's not going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> um, but I guess, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Is it a good thing to do? Like what's your, if people do it, how should they go about selecting them? You know, how to do quote unquote, do well on them. You know, that's always right. what students worry about. <laughs> um, yeah. The, the historically away rotations were extremely popular. Um, and to the point where folks are trying to do three or four, uh, it was not uncommon for folks to do three or four audition rotations uh, as a med student uh, applying to dermatology COVID as you, as you mentioned, has changed that. So this year there's a, restriction that you can only do one, uh, one, uh, one away rotation, but I encourage, um, a lot of applicants to do uh, away, away rotations. I will say it's not necessarily needed for everyone. Um, and I, I was someone who actually did not do an away rotation. And the reason that that was is because I felt like I was stronger as an applicant on paper than I was, uh, in person. And, and part of that was because I, at Max, well, I, I told you I'd done research for, for many years and um, I had kind of a robust um, research resume and having done the master's program. And I, 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 I felt like I was very insecure about my dermatology knowledge. And, um, and so I ultimately chose not to do it. And I think there are other applicants that, that, probably don't have that exact same situation as me, but that may fall under that same bubble where, you know, away rotations may not be needed. But I think the majority, I would encourage the majority of medical students to, to, to do an away rotation. And um, having been on the other side, being at the point where I'm now kind of in the evaluation 
kind of seat of away rotators. Um, my insecurity of knowledge was very unfounded because when I work with away rotators, I don't care at all what they know. I, the things that I prioritize and I find that a lot of my attendings and my resident, co-residents similarly uh, prioritize, this is someone who's works hard, who has a good attitude, who's pleasant to be around um, and just likes to learn. And so um, I, I, I think my insecurity as a med student about lack of knowledge was completely unfounded. And I, and I would encourage those that are thinking about it not to worry about that. And just the best thing to do is to show up, be eager to learn, wanting to work hard and be helpful, try to help the residents and the attendings. Um, I think it is a kind of a fine line to walk, to, to walk um, that, you know, you, you certainly kind of uh, impressions matter. And there is such thing as being perhaps too eager and perhaps a little some can sometimes come off as annoying, but I think in general, being self-aware, being having good attitude, and just working hard will um, will 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 lead to a successful experience. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I, I would agree with that as well. You know, it's funny being on the other side of it. You know, I, I actually rotated on an IR this year in August, and it was the same thing. We had some away rotators, and I felt the same. I didn't expect them to know any. I mean, we you know, similar to dermatology. I mean, you learn a little bit of dermatology in med school, but obviously not anywhere right. near the level that you guys yeah. are at and you know same thing with interventional radiology i mean a lot of people don't even fully know like what that <laughs> right. is and right. so i don't expect med students to really know all that much it's the same thing i mean we we feel the same way is that you know are you easy to work with willing to learn showing up and working hard i mean you see i'm sure you've seen it like you see a, a wide variety of of students you know there's some students that are very good they show up early they have the work list worked up they know the patients um, they're good at presenting things like that. They're helpful. And then there's students that show up late and don't do what they're supposed to do and try to leave early. And I mean, it's pretty shocking, like on away rotations and people do that stuff. It really is. When I just say that you just got to work hard, have good attitude, you know, like that, that seems easy, but it, <laughs> having seen kind of the, 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 the wide range of students that come in, it's really, it's really not that, uh, it's not ubiquitous as, as one would expect. Yeah, these seem like obvious things, but unfortunately, they're they're not always. <laughs> right, right, right. Which is which is funny. Um, I guess the, the the one last thing on the applicant side of things is because I want to get into some of your your other experiences that you've had real quick before we close out. Is you know I realize we could do a whole podcast on this, and we've talked a lot about you know the application process. But I guess what are you know dermatology is you know the most competitive or one of the most competitive fields. What are kind of the major things you guys look at? Is it, you know, someone with a lot of research? Is it someone who did really well in their clinical rotations? Is it like kind of you have to just be really good at everything? Uh, that's kind of my impression. It seems like you have to just be the really the best applicant possible. I guess, I guess what, are, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> um, each, each residency program is different. Historically, res, uh, dermatology has valued uh, scores, um, having high step scores, um, being AOA as well as research. That has usually been the, the main kind of check boxes that, you know, kind of formula matching to dermatology was to, to kind of make sure you, you checked all those boxes. Things have kind of shifted a, a little bit away from that, in part because step, step is moving to pass fail. Um, and also in part because we're noticing in dermatology that there's a, we have a very, um, uh, homogenous workforce. We are not a very diverse field. And so there have been calls throughout our field to find better 
or at least different ways to evaluate candidates to increase diversity. And so um, I now encourage uh, to I encourage uh, students to do well. It's important to um, to try to 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 get good grades, to get good scores, but it's important to also build relationships in dermatology and also to have create an identity in, in, as an applicant. And so um, what is the hat that you want to wear as an applicant that's going to make you stand out? And um, we're actually interviewing, we're, we're interviewing applicants tomorrow. I had a, a meet and greet with them tonight. And um, it was, it was um, just interesting being on, you know, on, on the, on the evaluator side of just what you remember, what you don't. Each one kind of has um, the ones that I think are successful are common ones that are able to have an identity, um, both personally and professionally, um, that 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 will that will stand out in the um, in in the uh, the faculty and the residents' mind when they go to rank. Sure, sure. And I, I think kind of going on that and switching gears a little bit, I imagine part of your identity was the the time you took off to do those those two degrees, the two degrees at Yale University, I guess, maybe kind of walk us through that, because I think that's definitely unique, um, kind of what your, you know, what your plan was with that, like, what did you hope to accomplish, what that experience was like, and I guess maybe how you hope to, or maybe you're already using what you learned from those degrees in your, your current endeavors. Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Um, so I, I took the GMAT, my senior year of college, uh, thinking I was going to go get an MBA, um, really kind of not thinking much about it. I, my, my mentor had told me uh, he had an MBA. He's like, you should go get an MBA. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll take the GMAT and, and see what's out there. Um, but as I, as I went through my clinical rotations, I, it became a common theme that I encountered attendings being like, man, I am frustrated that, you know, non-physicians are making decisions for us and um and they would have some gripes about the health system but, but as a as a pre-med who focused only on research and, and pre-med and then medical student only focusing on, on my clinical rotations i knew nothing about how the health system works and how um how things in in the uh in our in our healthcare kind of uh how, how they move along and so um taking those couple years off i did an mba and mph at, at yale I was able to take a deep dive uh, into different drivers of healthcare, looking at how finance works, how um, how decision making works, how um, team uh, building can can occur, how strategy uh, healthcare strategy occurs, how health policy can can shape um, practices in, in in healthcare, and so um, it allowed me first and foremost to take a dive into a variety of topics that I just didn't know about um, as someone who was fo fo laser focused on, um, on medicine. The second thing it allowed me to do was build a, a network of folks outside of medicine and who have gone on to be kind of um, movers and shakers in other fields and kind of being able to kind of bounce ideas off them, um, talk to them about things that are challenges that we face in healthcare and talk to the, how they, how other other folks in other industries um, encounter these problems. Um, my 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 experience opened a lot of doors. Um, I was a consultant for um, for the FDA. I worked as a strategy consultant uh, for pharmaceutical companies. Um, I, I I got involved in um, in, in the, the startup world, and that's kind of our shared interest, uh, Maxwell. Um, but uh, it opened a lot of doors that uh, I didn't intend. Or I didn't ever intend to, to, to even, I didn't even know about. And so um, having those 
couple of years, it, it broadened my horizons. It kind of, it kind of prepared me for um, a life where I, I hope to combine clinical medicine, but also with, um, with my other interests that uh, were acquired during that time. Awesome. Awesome. And is that, uh, I guess, going, you know, out into your, when you finish residency, do you hope to, I guess, be involved in like healthcare administration, or like you said, like, uh, or maybe you're already involved in like startups or, or, you know, entrepreneurship or things like that? It's, or, or is it kind of yet, yet to be seen where you, where that's going to go? Um, so it's, I've, to, to date, most of my extra clinical work has been in consulting uh, uh, for large corporations, for pharmaceutical corporations, as well as um, governmental organizations and um, early stage startups. Um, one of the startups that I was a consultant for uh, during my time in, uh, in business school was um, uh, a mental health company that has gone on to be... Um, and it's now worth $3 billion. And so um, I, I had the, I was offered to be their, um, their first hire to be their chief medical officer. And I, you know, I had told myself, no, I'm going to go into dermatology residency. And at the time it was just kind of two co-founders. One was a Yale college undergrad and a, the other was a Yale grad student. And they've gone on just to be tremendously successful. And so, you know, sometimes um, this, in this case, uh, I perhaps, uh, this door was, I shut this door and uh, perhaps missed out on a, a very, um, very uh, productive opportunity. But um, in the future, I hope to be involved in um, who, working with uh, in, in the innovation community, working with startups um, uh, and do envision being an entrepreneur myself as well. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I guess I'm just curious, do you do you plan to do private practice or academics or you, you're not sure yet? You're still kind of exploring those options. I'm, I'm uh, planning on doing academics, at least starting out my career in academics. I think the, we certainly take a, a pay cut in, in academics, but I think academic medicine, at least in dermatology allows one to um, most um, to, catalyzes the desire to perhaps be um, productive and also allows one to stay relevant in the field of, of dermatology. And so there's a lot of kind of initiatives that I'd like to work on in, uh, in health policy and health innovation. And I think that's best done um, initially, at least in the academic setting, while one is kind of carving out identity and still building relationships. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I guess uh, like some of the consulting work just uh, a little, I'm just curious from my own perspective, is it, do you bring your, your perspective as a, as a physician into that, or is it um, also on the, I guess, you know, given that you have this business training as well, is it, is it that side of things or maybe kind of the uh, fusion of both of those? Yeah, it's kind of hard to um, divide it up now. It's kind of just my perspective as, uh, as a, uh, as a dermatologist, but also with business and public health training and uh, kind of a research background. Um, so it's all kind of fused together. Most of my clients, um, so I'm now I work as an independent consultant and my clients will, will reach out to me. Most of them have been in the health policy space trying to understand um, 
the regulatory environment and and how um, you know they they'll have an idea and typically it's actually a um, a client will be um, outside the United States unfamiliar with how the FDA um, functions and how devices are brought to market or how a different um, a drug is developed and so they'll I'll consult for them and and help them um, understand the process it takes for them to bring their idea to market. Very cool. That's very cool. Um, I guess kind of closing things up here, what are kind of the latest innovations in the field of dermatology? Like what's, what's kind of the newest, uh, the newest gadgets and devices you guys are using and kind of the newest things I, 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 you know, in the innovation track, there's a lot of you guys in there and you guys, it seems like a lot of, there's a lot of interest in like topical, you know, products and topical, uh, therapies and things like that. But I imagine there's, it's probably even goes much beyond that as well. I think the, the, the most, the most, uh, talked about uh, um, the most talked about category in in innovation and device innovation in dermatology is in the category of uh, artificial intelligence. Um, Being able to leverage um, artificial intelligence and machine learning platforms to be able to assist um, in diagnoses, especially of like melanoma versus non-melanoma. And so um, there's a shortage of dermatologists nationally, especially in the rural, rural areas of, uh, of the United States. And so the, there's a huge need for, to be able to leverage a platform to, to be able to help um, physicians or providers make a decision about, do I need to get this biopsy um, or do I need to at least get this patient seen by a dermatologist? And so in 2017, a landmark paper came out showing that there was a um, machine learning algorithm or artificial intelligence platform that was able to predict melanomas at the same rate as a board certified dermatologist. Wow. And so that was a huge thing to come out. Certainly dermatologists, um, a good amount of them didn't love that, that idea. Um, I, I think, you know, I'd, I'd be curious as to what your perspective in radiology is because our AI is huge in radiology, um, but it has not yet developed a lot of traction because it has, there's still, uh, there's still, there is encountered a lot of barriers in terms of regulation. And it's also encountered um, barriers in terms of being able to predict uh, and make diagnoses in all types of skin. So um, it's really good at making diagnoses in type one and type two skin, but not good at making diagnoses in darker skin. And so um, that certainly is, we're not looking to expand the equity, large equity that already, inequity that already exists in the United States and something like that has potential to do so. And so there's been pushback um, on multiple fronts until things like that can be addressed. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I think for, you know, as you allude to, it's, it's obviously a huge, th- I, I actually didn't know that at all that it was i guess it makes sense um because you know again they're kind of the similarities they're both very visual fields um and in radiology it seems like we want to use it at least so far with a lot of the developments is like tasks that are really strenuous and to be frank kind of annoying <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like like uh one of the bane of the radiologist's existence is looking for pulmonary nodules on on like a ct chest uh, or something yeah. like because all these little yeah. tiny like uh things so and so people have tried to develop AI to, to do that. So that one, I mean, more importantly than, you know, being annoying or not the most enjoyable thing uh, to do is that just so that things don't get missed. Cause that that's obviously the worst case is that, is that you miss, uh, cause it does happen, unfortunately that you miss uh, a pulmonary nodule and hopefully 
we can develop AI to help us. And I think it's like, you know, people talk about, oh, it's going to replace radiologists and things like that. I think the focus is more, as you said, for what you're, you've seen dermatologists to make it as an assistive tool, you know, so that we don't miss things. And, and you know, because fatigue is a real thing and, you know, uh, the pressure to, you know, efficiently pump through scans and read scans and things like that. So I think, and then the other, another big one that I've seen is stroke is another one, like I, helping quickly um, identify stroke is another one. But again, it's the technology is not there yet. Like, I think it's, you know, they've, they've shown different algorithms to be, you know, quote unquote, as good as a radiologist, but it's, it's almost like the, the airline industry, you know, there's always, I think the public, I don't know about you. I don't think I'd feel comfortable flying on a plane without a pilot in there. Right. Right. So I think there's for some, I think there are, it's similar to that. There's always going to have to be someone at least watching it, you know, if, if not, you know, more so using it. So, yeah, I think that's, it's kind of the similar, the similar thought process in, in radiology. And, and, you know, I think even more so than the airline industry, there's still going to be a need for, um, for the, the, the personal interaction. I, sure. I doubt, you know, patients want a, just a machine look linked up to them and not have any kind of discussion. And I, I think um, that's still an important component of medicine that will be that will be replaceable by uh, an AI algorithm. Sure. The, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is because also we, one of our medical innovation track events was, was about this was uh, like telemedicine. And, you know, as you know, teleradiology is a huge thing and has really become much bigger with the, the pandemic. Um, I guess, how do you see telemedicine playing into, into dermatology as you go forward? I think I remember it may have even been you that talked about it when we had that session about, you know, the rural areas and having, you know, making sure more rural areas have access to a dermatologist and telemedicine maybe being a, a nice solution to that um, as well. Yeah, absolutely. So tele, tele, we call teledermatology has been a field um, for many years now. Um, and it is, it has tremendous value in, in, um, in, in patient care. Um, but what teledermatology has struggled with uh, up until the pandemic was ensuring appropriate reimbursement for services. Um, the one of the good things that's coming out of the pandemic is that there's been rapid, um, rapid uh, normalization of reimbursement for, uh, for teledermatology services at the rate of seeing patients um, in person in, in some circumstances. And so overnight in, in, in a figurative sense, teledermatology um, took leaps and bounds through the pandemic, because now we've had, we've shown and been able to justify the value uh, for many years, but until, unless it was going to get paid for, it wasn't going to develop traction. And now it's being paid for. And um, we're seeing that it's patients are preferring it, for example, um, in follow-up cases where we have a diagnosis and we just got to make sure that things aren't, or things are progressing the right way. And um, if we already have a diagnosis and we know what's going on, um, we, we're finding that we can pretty effectively treat them, um, even if we need to escalate treatment up the treatment ladder through teledermatology. Another, another circumstance is um, uh, post-operative, like after a, after a Mohs surgery or after a, um, a skin cancer excision, checking in, you know, the patient says, oh, I'm worried, it's draining, I'm worried about a skin infection. That can be evaluated um, relatively effectively over teledermatology. And so um, I think there, that that these are innovations that have been catalyzed by the pandemic, but have gained traction and are here to stay, um, in, in my opinion, for the, for the better. Nice, nice. Well, 
just to kind of wrap things up here, uh, something we ask every guest is when you're not doing dermatology or consulting or many of the other endeavors you're involved with, what do you, what do you like to do with your, uh, your spare time? <laughs> I, uh, I love football. Um, I played uh, football at Rice University, so I'm a big oh. uh, football fan. I uh, really like college football. Um, I, I like golf. I, I think I see golf balls in your background there. Is that the yeah. golf ball? Yeah, 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 yeah those golf, are awful, we, should, yeah. we should hit the link sometimes, Maxwell. Definitely. Uh, so I really like golf, um, and uh, and then kind of perhaps something a little more idiosyncratic. Idiosyncratic is I, I really like Latin dancing. Um, oh, I used cool. to dance also uh, semi professionally, so I like to oh, wow. go Latin dancing. That's cool. That's a very yeah. uh, wide array of interests. That's all. <laughs> what what position did you play? In, in, in I was college? a linebacker. Oh wow. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and right, race. That's the that's Division One, isn't it? It's Division One. We were kind of the um, the bottom of Division One, but we kind of we 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 are Division One. So it was uh, it was quite an experience to kind of go through that and um, learned a lot of things about just life principles that continue to stick with me um, and are I think are helpful as a as a resident and as a physician. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And then I guess the last thing you already alluded to this uh, with your email is, is there any like platforms like, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn that you're active on where you'd, where you'd like people to, to reach out or follow you or anything like that? We can definitely link those below as well. Yeah, I'm a, I do have a LinkedIn and I do have a, a, tw a Twitter. Um, and uh, but, you know, I think if anyone wants to reach out and just chat about anything that we talked about or, uh, you know, I'd love to be happy to kind of share my thoughts or just to connect with folks. Um, please feel free to reach out to, and I can send you all the information on that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Harrison, I, I certainly enjoyed our conversation, learned a lot about the field of dermatology um, and really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to, to share that your insights with us and your experiences. Thank you so much uh, for having me. I think this is a, such a great idea to, to kind of interview folks from all different fields and get their, get the, the, the true, the inside, true scoop of what's going on. I, I you know, I wish I, um, had, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of medical students probably would are, you know, wish that they had this, uh, earlier on. So, um, keep up the great work. Thank you. Thank you. Definitely. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Da Vinci Hour brought to you by Da Vinci Academy. More episodes are available on our website at dviacademy.com, our YouTube channel. They're also available on Spotify and Apple podcasts. Also on our website, you can find our video courses for anatomy, biochemistry, and histology, and they're available as month-to-month -month packages. They're also available as a combo package where you can get all three courses in one. Our website also has a store where you can find our outline format textbooks for anatomy, biochemistry, and histology. All textbooks are available in paperback version and as eBooks as well. These textbooks complement our video courses and provide a nice addition to the learning experience of allowing you to focus on the learning and not having to write anything down. On our website, we also provide a free clinical cases video series called Da Vinci Cases. Da Vinci Cases aims to help you learn how to answer USMLE questions and apply concepts that you learn in our courses to answering those questions. Our cases cover a variety of topics and organ systems, and they're updated frequently with new cases. And then lastly on our website, you can find our blog, which has interesting articles that cover medical history, important figures in medicine, and innovations in medicine. Again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Da Vinci Hour, brought to you by Da Vinci Academy. Please be sure to tune in for our next episode.